Let's open our Bibles, please, the book of Genesis, chapter 1. And what we're trying to do is begin with chapter 1 and give you not a detailed study because it took 40 weeks to give a detailed study of the book of Genesis. And I trust that we can cover it in like, say, three or four lessons to give you an overall view. And, of course, Genesis is a book with 50 chapters in the book of Genesis, 40 in the book of Exodus. If you want to divide the book of Genesis into a couple of parts, a couple of divisions or sections, chapters 1 through 11 is the first section of Genesis. And I'll tell you what it covers in a moment. And then chapters 12 through 50. So there's actually just two major divisions in the whole book. And in chapters 1 through 11, uh, we find that it covers a minimum of 2,000 years. Eleven chapters, 2,000 years, and then 12 through 50, the remainder of the chapters, only 350 years. Can you imagine that? But anyway, in the first section, chapters 1 through 11, you have creation, and you have the fall, and you have the flood, and you have the Tower of Babel. That's the first division of the book of Genesis. And the creation covers chapters 1 and 2. We find creation by the Word of God. And then the fall, chapters 3 and 4, by the temptation of Satan. And the flood, chapters 5 through 9, that's the judgment of God. And then the Tower of Babel, it's an an attempt to defy God, is chapters 10 and 11. So that's the first division of this book. And while we're talking about it, I'll give you briefly, before we deal with that first division of the book, which we'll try to tonight. But... Before we give you that uh, detailed study, or at least that overall view of that first section, I should say that in chapters 12 through 50, uh, primarily you have the lives of four men that would divide the remainder of the book of Genesis. Abraham, the man of faith, and faith, and that's chapters 12 through 23, you have Abraham. And then Isaac, the beloved son, of course, Abraham begat Isaac. And that's chapters 24 through 26. And then you have Jacob, the chosen and chastened, the chosen and chastened of God. He's a chastened son. Uh, Chapters 27 through 36. And then you have Joseph. You have in Joseph suffering and glory. And that's chapters 37 through 50. So if you want those chapter divisions, I can give those to you at a later time too. But remember this, if you want to kind of get a glimpse of the, old, of the latter part, the second division of the book, 12 through 50, we're talking about chapters now, you have four men that are outstanding. There are others that are related to, to them and other things that will come into the picture. But basically, if you can remember the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, you can sum up the remainder of the book of Genesis. Now then, all of the book of Genesis, let me give you this is surrounded by events that have to do with certain uh, special persons uh, all the way through. And we're going to get into this first division of the book of Genesis. And I have seven things that I want us to deal with briefly. Now, if I cover all of them tonight, this will take us to the first 11 chapters. If I don't, we might have to take another lesson to cover the first division. 
But if you need these divisions, I can give them to you again at another time. But what I'm trying to do, the whole purpose of our dealing with the book of Genesis in these next two or three lessons is to give you a picture in your mind of what is contained in the book of Genesis. And as I say, it is not going to be a detailed study because sometimes we spend as much as uh, a couple of lessons on even one chapter and there's 50 chapters and then sometimes we covered two or three chapters that were uh, least seeming least importance uh, in a lesson and therefore we covered the whole book of Genesis in 40 lessons but tonight in this first division let me give you before I give you the division the chapters you have creation you have Adam and Eve you have Cain and Abel you have Seth you have Enoch and Methuselah, you have Noah, and you have Nimrod. Now then, in uh, concerning creation, now this is the division and the breakdown of what you might find tonight, if we can get that far. Uh, you might have the breakdown of creation is in chapters 1 and 2. And Adam and Eve, of course, the fall is chapter 3. Cain and Abel and their offerings is chapter 4. And Seth... Another son, instead of Abel, is the godly line. Instead of the ungodly line from Cain, you have the godly line, or those that begin to live for God in the line of Seth. And then you, you have uh, next, uh, in the fifth chapter, and that's in the fourth and fifth chapter, you have the godly line. And then you have Enoch and Methuselah in chapter 5. And then you have Noah in chapter, and the flood in chapters 5 through 9. And then you have Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, that he attempted to build to reach up to heaven, chapters 10 and 11. And that will cover the first division of this book. Now, we want to deal with all seven of those things. First of all, let's talk about creation in chapters 1 and 2. The Bible says, now then, in the beginning, in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, if you'll keep your Bible open to Genesis, and as we begin reading these things and point out things, you just turn one page right after the other, and we won't turn tonight, I'm sure, beyond the 11th chapter, but you'll turn and get some key points that will help you to get this in your mind, see? And so as we read the first verse, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. Now, that means that it became that way. The word was means became, without form and void. And Isaiah 45, verse 18 tells us that the earth was not created in vain, or it was not created void. So when God made it, some catastrophe happened to cause it to become without form and void. When God first made everything. And then, of course, out of that chaos that was already made in the beginning... Then God began to recreate, you might say, and to create things and bring them back out of that chaotic condition into light and life. And there, that's the record you have beginning in verse uh, 3 uh, of the book of Genesis. So there's a time that lapses between in the beginning when God created and the earth becoming without form and void and then God moving upon the face of the waters uh, and causing things to come into life and into existence. Uh, in verse 3, 
Well, in verse 2 it says, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. In this first chapter, you're going to see the chaos, of course, that we've already mentioned. And you're going to see that, like in verse 3, and I'll point them out, it says, And God said. I want you to notice verse 3. And God said, let there be light. Notice verse 6. And God said, let there be a firmament. Look at verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. Verse 11 says, and God said. Right? Now then, verse 14 says, and God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven. Uh, on down in verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. In verse 24, And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind. In verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Verse 28, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. In verse 29, And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of of the tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for me. And he goes on to say the details. We will not study the details. You know, I have to restrain myself from studying details. And all of you know that because I'm a very detailed type of preacher. I like to give all the ins and outs of it. So all I want you to see in those things was that when God created in Genesis chapter 1, we find that he said, God spoke the word and it was so. And before the word was spoken, it says the Spirit of God brooded upon the face of the water. So you find the movement and activity of God, the Spirit of God, and then the Word of God that uh, actually brings everything into existence. And you find that's divine activity first, and then the divine spoken word that brings it into existence. Isn't that what happens with a lost soul? Doesn't... The Holy Spirit move upon a heart and then the Word of God comes and and there's life that is produced. It's typical and picturesque of that very thing. And we'll have to confine our remarks of that to what we've already just said and go on with a further thought. Uh, In the uh, rest of the first and the second chapter, you'll find that, that man is created. You know... Everything was created, including man. And if you read verse 26 again, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. In the second chapter, you have the details of that creation. It tells you exactly how God did that. It says that God created man and he, uh, out of the dust of the earth and, and he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That's what the Bible tells us in the second chapter. Uh, look down in verse uh, 7. The Lord God formed man. Of, you have the second chapter. We're talking about creation now. And this is the crown of God's creation. And even though it said God created man in the first chapter, verse 26, in the second chapter, it tells you how. 
It says in verse 7, second chapter, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And that's his difference of man and all the other creation that God made. You know, the Bible tells us in the second chapter in the earlier part that God set of, uh, had finished all that he had made and everything was very good. Uh, it says that he... Uh, sanctified the, the seventh day, and he rested from all of his creation. And verse 8 tells us, look at it in your Bible, that God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So man was placed in the garden. And then man was forbidden to eat of the tree of good and evil. Look at, down in the second chapter, verse uh, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So what do you have in the first two chapters now? You have everything was created by the very word of God. You have the Spirit of God, the power of God moving or brooding, of hovering over the face of the waters, and then God beginning to bring into life and life, everything that's spoken of, and we won't give the details of it. But then we find man was created, and that man was also forbidden to eat of the tree of knowledge, look at verse 17, of good and evil, and God says, Thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And that covers the first of these seven things that we uh, will attempt to, to teach you. So what do you get of the overall view of the first two chapters? Creation, including man, and man forbidden to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you just wanted to give a brief of it tonight, you could say, well, I've seen that God didn't create the world in vain, and God uh, brought light and life out of darkness, and that he uh, created man out of the dust of the ground of the earth, and he formed him, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul, and God put him in the garden to, to keep it and to uh, take care of it, to tend it. And then God told him, there's one tree you shall not eat of. And you have the warning. Now, that's pretty easy for you to grasp, isn't it? And when you go through the whole of the, the book of Genesis in this fashion, I believe you'll be able to get a grip on it. Of course, I'm, I'm sure I'm not telling many of you some things you don't already know, but to rehearse it and get it in, in your mind is good. You know, I always like to have an outline of things in my mind and say, well, here's five things I need to remember. One, two, three, four, five. Or here's seven things I need to remember. Or here's three things I need to remember. And if you get a grasp of the main subject, then it's pretty easy later on in your own mind to fill in the details. But if you don't have a grasp of the main subject, it's hard to fill in the details. Now then, let's look at chapter 3. What's this about? It's about two persons. Who are they? Adam and Eve. And, of course, the serpent, the tempter. But he's not a person in the sense that I want to speak of a human person. He's, of course, the enemy, the accuser, the tempter, the devil. And uh, so we'll put him in a different category. But Adam and Eve, who do you have here in the third chapter? Now let's begin reading the third chapter and we'll see the serpent. We'll see the temptation. We'll see the fall of Eve and Adam uh, uh, falling with her, and then the curse that comes, and then God providing coats of skins for a covering. And these are the things we want to see in the third chapter. 
Now let's look at it quickly. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he had said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now he's uh, trying to, to uh, uh, disrupt the word of God and get her to disbelieve the word of God and cast doubt upon the word of God. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. See, he told her a lie, because God said, You shall surely die. And the devil said, You shall not surely die. And then, in verse 5, it says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw, here's the threefold uh, temptation. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. We call this the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These three things. John says in the, in the book of First John that there are three things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And you can tie them in right here with what the woman was tempted with. And then we find in verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They tried to cover their nakedness with fig leaves, with aprons of fig leaves, a covering of fig leaves. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat of all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow uh, shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife, wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and, and clothe them. And the Lord God uh, said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent 
him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now what do you find? After the fall, you find Adam and Eve attempting to cover their own nakedness by their own provision. It's typical of self-righteousness. And instead of them seeking God and say, God, look what we have done. We've sinned and we've disobeyed you. God had to seek them out. This shows you the grace of God at work, doesn't it? Do you know men do not ordinarily and naturally seek after God? God has to come seeking men, right? The Spirit of God deals with men and seeks men out. Jesus seeks that lost sheep that has gone astray. And Jesus said, I'm come to seek and to save that which was lost. So you find God in grace seeking man out. And man trying to hide from God always. Well, he couldn't then, and you cannot now. And uh, you read the story here of the, the curse that came upon Adam and Eve because of sin, right? And it's a sevenfold curse. You find that there was going to be pain, there would be a subjection, there would be the curse uh, that God said upon the ground, and then sorrow, and then uh, uh, thorns and thistles, and you find the sweat of his face, and you find death, finally turning to death. A sevenfold curse that fell upon Adam and Eve because of sin. And even the curse upon Satan, or the serpent. So you find the fall, but one important thing about this whole situation is that though there was the serpent, there, though there was the temptation, though there was the fall, and though there was the curse, you find God provided coats of skins. Look in verse 21. Unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And these coats of skins had to be uh, made from uh, uh, some sacrifice, some animal that had to die in order to provide the coats of skins. You know, this might do away with some of the lovers, animal lovers today that think you're not supposed to use them to cover you, yourself with. But anyway, be that as it may, God did that. He's the first one that provided for a covering. And so what I'm saying is that uh, that was the provision God made to clothe Adam and Eve. And God has made all the beasts of the field and all of herbs and all the stuff and everything put under man's uh, dominion, and he's to use it properly. He's not to use it improperly, but it's made for his good and for God's glory. But the coats of skins are typical of what? A blood sacrifice. They are a blood sacrifice and typical of the sacrifice of Christ. And the Bible teaches us that we're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And every believer, we were like uh, covered with the fig leaves of our own self-righteousness. And we tried to cover ourselves, and this wouldn't work. And God says, I'm going to give you something that will work. And I'm going to provide a covering for you that will be acceptable. And it says, that unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And so we find that it's typical of Christ and His righteousness through the shedding of His blood that we are righteous in the sight of God. Now I want you to look at the fourth chapter, if you will, quickly. The fourth chapter. And this has to do with Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. And we'll read uh, the first eight verses. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She was mistaken, really. 
she, one was born, but she thought this was the promised seed that God gave there in the second chapter concerning her seed. But it was a long time before that seed of the woman would come, and that would be Jesus. And the Bible says in Galatians that when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. But right here, she thought. And you know, sometimes we think, but we're mistaken. And of course, she didn't have the knowledge we have now and all the the Bible to look at and see her mistakes and her faults and failures. They just kind of had to, as we used to say, play it by ear, didn't they? And so they didn't have the revelation. They had direct revelation, direct commands, and God had spoken to them and given them restrictions, told them what would bless them. And yet they didn't realize all the, the implications of everything that happened. That would be revealed later. So Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she, she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now notice this. And in the process of time, there must have been a definite time for this to happen. It came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord uh, said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? <clears throat> if thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field... <clears throat> that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Now you have the story of Cain and Abel, at least briefly. And what was it? Here were two brothers, and they were both by the same parents. They were both sinners by nature, and they both brought offerings to the Lord at a set time. It says at the end of days, or there was a time when they brought these offerings. Evidently, they knew of that time. And the offerings they brought are typical of the two religions of man, by the way. One is faith and the other is works. One is faith in the blood sacrifice and the other is the works of your hands, whether it be the law or anything else. And did you know every religion upon the face of the earth can be put under one of these two categories? Did you know all religions, all denominations can be put under one of these two categories? You basically either believe that you're saved by grace through faith in the redemptive blood of Christ, or you believe that according to the law or according to church attendance, according to works, according to ritual, according to something that you do, you can merit salvation. And it really adds up to that. Whether it's, a, whether it's even in the realm of Christianity or, or stemming out to all religions of the world, it's either faith or works. And it's faith in something, and that something has to be a blood sacrifice. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And if you'll notice, he offered the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. So it had to be killed, there had to be sacrificed, there had to be bloodshed, right? And upon this basis, it says God accepted Abel's offering. And God, it says he obtained witness that he was righteous by doing this. Now, he wasn't any more righteous than Cain from the natural standpoint. 
but he was righteous in the sight of God from the spiritual standpoint because he offered what God required. See, that's the difference between today, between the saved and the lost. Now, God will make us more righteous in our lives if we're saved, but we're not, right, we're not saved because we are righteous in ourselves. See? And so when you look at this, you say, well, uh, how did Abel offer it by faith? The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Right? So evidently, Adam and Eve had told Cain and Abel both about God providing a sacrifice and coats of skins for their covering. And there had to be shedding of blood. And they knew their parents had uh, told them something, either that or God directly told uh, Cain and Abel what was required. And one of them accepted God's word and says, okay, if that's what God wants, that's what we'll do. That was Abel. And the other one says, it doesn't make any difference. I'll do what I want to. I'll, do, I'll bring an offering, but I'll do it of my own choosing. That's Cain. And that's the difference in people today. God has told us what He requires for our salvation. He says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. He says, Christ is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have righteousness of Christ imputed to us. By faith, He was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. The fourth chapter of Romans, the last part of it, tells us that Abraham's righteousness was imputed to him because he believed. And it says it was not written for him alone, but for you and I, who also shall be, have the righteousness of God imputed to us. If we believe on Him, listen, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. The last two verses in Romans chapter 4. So what is it? You have two people here. You have one of them says, I'm going to try to be righteous. Cain. I'm going to try to do righteous. I'm going to bring something beautiful to God. I'm going to give Him my beautiful life. I'm going to give Him strict service. I'm going to go out and work in the field and I'll bring Him the best of the works of my hands. God says, I won't have it. You have another one here says, I'm a sinner. God says, if I'll offer a blood sacrifice by faith and uh, pointing to Christ, if I'll accept Christ, His Son, who shed His blood on the cross, I'll be saved, even though I'm a sinner just like this other guy. I don't have anything to bring that I, I've made, but I'm going to offer Christ. And God says, I'll take it. He says, I'm satisfied. And that is redemption through the blood of Christ. That's the difference between the saved and the lost today. Every person that has come to, to God by faith, pleading the blood of Christ and nothing of his own, is going to be accepted and be taken into heaven. And those that come pleading their own works and their own goodness, God says, I, I won't have anything to do with it. Now, there's a lot of works and there's a lot of goodness people ought to show after they're saved. And that's the result of it, but not the, not the root of it, not the beginning of it. You have this summed up in Cain and Abel. I want you to notice in the last part of the book, of, uh, of the fourth chapter of Genesis, two verses. Now, we know what happened to Cain, and we won't go into the details there. As I say, I have to fight against giving details. I have to work against that, especially in a lesson of this type. But look at verse 25 and 26 of the fourth chapter. Now we're talking about Seth. Seth. Look at this. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. For God, said he, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, uh, whom Cain slew. You see, Cain killed Abel. God says, I've got to have a... God says, I'm going to give Adam and Eve another son that will replace that godly Abel, the man that, 
that uh, offered by faith that most excellent sacrifice and was accepted of God, I'm going to have to replace him with another godly line. And he says, Seth. And it says in verse 26, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. See that? Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Seth was what we call the godly line. The godly line of people. Uh, we, we believe Cain was the ungodly. Theirs had to do with basically the world and all of its uh, profit and gain. If you want to follow the line of Cain in the rest of the fourth chapter, look at it briefly. Uh, verse 19 says, Lamech took unto him two wives. There's the beginning of polygamy. See that? You have the fourth chapter. Now look at it. Verse 19. Lamech took two wives. Down in verse 20, it tells us that there's such as dwell in tents and such as have cattle, the, the offspring. Look at verse 21. Such as handle the harp. Some more. Some more of the, the descendants of Cain. Uh, verse 22. An instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And you find that all the way through that they were men of the world and businessmen and profiting men. But you find in the godly line, that's the ungodly line. When we see that all, the, all this world is, it doesn't mean that some of these things cannot be turned to the glory of God. But it means basically you divide men into two categories. Either they, they're living for the world and all it offers and all it takes to gain. Or they're living in another way. And in the fifth chapter, you'll find the godly line spoken of. I want you to look in the fifth chapter. Look at it. Uh, in verse 3. You have chapter 5, verse 3. And Adam lived in 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. That's what we just talked about. The godly line, Seth. Okay, verse 4. In the days of Adam after he be had begotten Seth were 800 years... Uh, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Now look. And Seth lived in 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he began, begat Enos 807 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Now I want you to notice three words about Seth. You have verse 7. Seth lived. Verse 7. Begat. Verse 8, and he died. What does the godly line do? They live and they begat, they're fruitful and they die. <coughs> fruitful. Bear fruit and die. That's what godly people do. They live and they begat, they become fruitful, and then they die. That's the godly line. And the emphasis is placed upon a beginning and an end, but in between that, fruitfulness in our lives as Christians. And if that applies to physical things, in, as far as Seth is concerned, what about spiritual things? We're born again as children of God. Look, we live. We're made alive in Christ. We're to be fruitful. We're to beget sons and daughters. We're to witness and we're to, we're to give out the Word of God and people will be saved. And then what? When our life is over, we're gone. But that's the essence of life, is to be fruitful 
during that time of life. And we'll find some more things about the godly line of Seth, and there's uh, no way I could give you all the details of it, but I will try to uh, at least give you that much to show you briefly that it's not what we accomplish in the world so much as it is what we accomplish in God. Live and begat and die. Then I want you to notice in the fifth chapter, quickly, our time is about gone, but in the fifth chapter also, we have the next point of our message, and that's Enoch and Methuselah. Enoch and Methuselah. And I want you to notice what happened in verse, uh, uh, beginning with verse 18. And Jared lived in 160 and two years and begat Enoch. Verse 19. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. By the way, the story is the same all along this line, this godly line. It's repeated just what I gave you a minute ago. But I want you to notice now verse uh, 21. And Enoch lived 60 and five years and begat Methuselah. Now, our focus at this point is Enoch and Methuselah. Enoch and Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Here's one that didn't die. Here's the exception to the rule. Right? He walked with God. Now then... I want you to notice verse 21 and 22. Verse 21 says Enoch lived 65 years. Verse 22 says Enoch walked with God. Right? First he just lived. And then he walked with God when? After he begat Methuselah. And you remember we've taught you before, I want to remind you of it, that Methuselah means that when he is dead... When he is gone, then it shall come. Methuselah means that when he is dead, it shall be sent. Or if you want to put it in another way. What is the judgment of God? His name, Methuselah, was a prophecy of the judgment of God coming. And it was there were wicked times in the days of Enoch. And yet he walked with God. And he walked so close to God, after he begat Methuselah, that God took him on to heaven. Now, I want you to get this picture. If you had a little baby born, Enoch was 65 years old, he had this baby born, God says, I want you to name that baby Methuselah. And Methuselah means that when he dies, judgment's going to fall. It's going to come. It shall be sent. The coming deludes. The flood. The flood's going to come. God's going to send judgment. Wouldn't you watch that little baby every day and to see if he's in good health? Well, to show you that God's mercy and grace and, and long-suffering was uh, evident then, Methuselah lived to be the oldest man that we know anything about. Right? 969 years. But can you imagine old Enoch... Every time he'd look at that little baby and say, Now look, I want to take good care of this baby. Because when he dies, God's going to bring judgment. And it caused him to live close to God. You know, Jesus said he's coming again. Right? 
So you and I ought to occupy till He comes, right? He's promised a judgment is coming. He's promised He's coming. And His promise of coming judgment ought to make us just as mindful of the wickedness of this world as Enoch was reminded in the days of Noah. And by the way, I've given you this before. If you want to drop down to verse 25, it says, Methuselah lived in 187 years and begat Lamech. Look at verse 25. Methuselah was 187 years old when Lamech was born. Down in verse 28, it says, And Lamech lived 182 years and begat a son. Verse 29, and he called his name Noah. 182 years Noah was born. So Methuselah was 187 plus 182 when Noah was born. Right? You look at those verses. So he was 369 years old when Noah was born. Now, when did the flood come? In the 600th year of Noah's life, look in chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 11. It says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventh day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened, Verse 13 says, In the selfsame day entered Noah, and Sham and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and three sons uh, of his sons with them into the ark. When did he enter into the ark? In the 600th year of his life. So how old would that make Methuselah? 600, uh, 969. So evidently when he came, the flood. When he died, the flood came. You can figure it out. At the end of Methuselah's life, God sent the flood. So he kept his word, didn't he? And when Methuselah died, the flood came. And if you want those figures, if you want me to help you unravel that, it's very simple. Let me give you two key verses. Or three key verses. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 25. And then 5, verse 28 and 29. You add those two together, 187 and 182, and you get the age of Methuselah when Noah was born. So Methuselah was 369 years when Noah was born. 369. And in the 600th year of Noah's life, I mean of of Noah's life, he entered the ark. So the 600 added to the 369 of Methuselah's life would make that 969. Now, if you look in your Bible, it says uh, in verse uh, uh, 27, And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And that would make it at exactly the same time that the flood came. Exactly the same time. So you see that Methuselah's name was a prophecy of coming judgment. And I don't believe we'll have time, or time's just about gone, to get into the sixth chapter. I like two points of this first division. So we might take a couple more lessons teaching the first division. But you see, we've, we've come down to the end of the fifth chapter, which covers a great span of this first division of what we've been talking about. In our next lesson, we'll take up Noah and Nimrod. There are two more outstanding people, and what's uh, surrounding them 
surrounding Noah, there's the ark, the flood, the new earth. Concerning, uh, concerning Nimrod, there's the Tower of Babel. And if we get into the second division, we won't mind that. We may get a part of Abraham's life, the call. But we, we will try to give you these two divisions that I gave you tonight. The first 11 chapters, the first division. From 12 to 50 is the second division. 